Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. If you want to know how far Pete Buttigieg has come, just look him up on C-SPAN. Oh, it's dirty right now. Back in February, he showed up to speak at this event with Democrats in a suburb just outside of Des Moines, Iowa. There were maybe a couple dozen people in this room. felt a little bit like a book signing. Buttigieg hadn't even officially declared his candidacy for president yet. The Washington Post has called him the most interesting mayor you've never heard of. (laughs) When the woman introducing him mentions that Buttigieg won 80% of the vote back in South Bend during his last mayoral election, he makes this embarrassed smile. Like, who? Me? Flash forward to a couple weeks ago. Please welcome to the stage, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. This is also in Des Moines, at an event called the Liberty and Justice Dinner. But now, the audience is holding thunder sticks. They're wearing bracelets that light up in time with Mayor Pete's walk-on music. They've become fans. Thank you! Thank you, Iowa! And it takes Buttigieg a full minute to just get a word in edgewise. Introduce me to some of the Iowans who are really responding to Mayor Pete. Like, is it Beatlemania, like screaming in the front row? Um, It's not quite Beatlemania, because I think part of Buttigieg's appeal to voters, particularly in a Midwestern state like Iowa, is that he's this relatable Midwestern mayor. Adam Wren is a reporter who has been riding around on Buttigieg's campaign bus. He's been writing about Buttigieg since he was just a local mayor with big ambitions. Adam says that humble, small-town origin story, it's part of the Buttigieg appeal. There's almost this sense from some supporters who wait along the, the rope line after an event to take a selfie with him, that they already know him. There's a sense that they he's this known quality, he's familiar to them. And so it's more of like, you know, seeing kind of a, a pen pal that you've been writing back and forth with for a long time and then finally meeting them in person. And that helps explain why Mayor Pete is now Iowa's Democratic frontrunner. In one poll, he has surged well ahead of Elizabeth Warren. I mean, nine points above her. I didn't expect that sort of gap. But stop by stop on this four-day bus tour, you could really sort of see that something was happening on the ground in Iowa. People were coming out. I, I talked to a number of independent voters 
who had never been to a caucus before, despite living in Iowa all of their lives, who told me that for the first time in their life, they were going to caucus for Mayor Pete on February 3rd. Tonight, as the Democratic candidates take the stage for yet another debate, Pete Buttigieg is going to be trying to keep this enthusiasm going. So how did the 37-year-old mayor of South Bend get here? And how will his competitors try to knock him off his game? I'm Mary Harris. You are listening to What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The last time there was a Democratic debate, I spoke to this political analyst, Amy Walter, and she said, listen, you should just watch Mayor Pete. And it feels like it's turned out to be really prescient now, like a month later. Yeah. You know, when you look back at the sum total of Buttigieg's debate performances, it's almost like he's sort of a distance runner. And then the last debate that we saw, he sort of like came out of nowhere. It was almost like a different Pete Buttigieg where he took things up a level. And it was almost like he sort of started his kick and really sort of started to draw attention to himself by contrasting with fellow candidates like Senator Elizabeth Warren on Medicare for All and contrasting his youth with uh, former Vice President Joe Biden. So as we enter into tonight's debate, It'll be really fascinating to see which Mayor Pete shows up. Are we going to see a pugilistic Pete that we saw last time? Or given his rise in Iowa, are we going to see him pivot to this sort of statesman-like figure where he's sort of above the fray, above the competition? I think both of those possibilities could pan out. He's a little cocky, too. I mean, he he went on a TV show and basically said, I think this is a two-way race between me and Elizabeth Warren at this point, which is saying something given that there are, you know, two dozen people in this race at this point. You know, some people read his comments like that, but having, you know, spent time with him and sort of becoming a student of his political career, I think I read it as more of almost a consultant sort of stepping outside of himself and stepping outside of the race and sort of analyzing where things were going a month or two out. So certainly his competitors and you know detractors saw this as something that was cocky. And the net effect of it was, yes, somewhat hubris filled. Can we talk about how Pete Buttigieg got to this place? Because looking back, he seems to have had this strategy that seems kind of brilliant. He hired a media expert, this woman, Liz Smith. And the idea in the early part of this year was just say no to no one. He would show up on whatever podcast wanted him and basically teach everyone how to pronounce his name and explain who he was. 
That's right. And, you know, an example of that is in January, right after he launched his exploratory committee, he actually went on a local podcast here in Indianapolis called Pete the Planner, which is a personal financial planning podcast for people who want to save for retirement or are wondering how big their their mortgage should be. This week on the Beat the Planner show, we answer your money questions, but better yet, no, we don't. I asked the questions this week of presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg, the mayor of South Bend. He joined and he called in and talked about student loan debt and how he approached his personal finances. You know, we, uh, I was able to refinance uh, my house a few years after purchasing it to take advantage of lower interest rates. But uh, what we've not been able to do is do the same with uh, the student debt. That's also a very big part of our, uh, our finances. So yes, he would say no to no one. You know, as we got closer to April, he had a town hall in Austin with CNN and sort of had this breakout moment where he criticized fellow Hoosier Vice President Mike Pence in a way that really elevated his platform. Speaking only for myself, I can tell you that if me being gay was a choice, it was a choice that was made far, far above my pay grade. And that's the thing I wish the Mike Pence's of the world would understand. That if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel, sir, is with my creator. And then from there, he launches in April and sort of skyrockets in the polls and in fundraising. He sort of blew a lot of his competitors out of the water with his second uh, quarter fundraising results, and he just kept going up and up. Hmm. I want to go back to the fundraising a little bit, because it feels like part of what happened was there was this strategy to get him on any and every outlet that would have him. So all of a sudden, Mayor Pete is everywhere. You're hearing his name. People are listening. That brings in donors. And then that seems to, you know, make the snowball roll even faster. Yeah, it's like a flywheel. It's like a self-perpetuating cycle of positive press, which leads to fundraising, which leads to escalation in the polls. It's fascinating because a year ago this month, I could go to South Bend and sit down at a local cafe with the mayor and talk with him with sort of no one noticing. And now he's followed by, you know, a dozen national reporters. He has his own private security. It's sort of a sea change that has happened in just over a year. Is it fair to say, in terms of the donors, that he's going after big ticket Democratic insiders who Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders might be avoiding? Um, I think that's part of it. In some ways, he's doing a lot of grassroots events in addition to these, you know, Democratic fat cats. So it's sort of an above all, all, all of the above strategy. You know, he does have an appeal in corporate America to sort of centrist Democrats who are not happy with the Trump presidency and sort of see in Pete Buttigieg someone who is thoughtful, socially progressive, but in some ways, you know, fiscally conservative. He, he does, you know, talk about the national debt and was asked about it on this swing through Iowa, and he sees it as sort of a generational problem. And so there is some corporate appeal there that results in fundraising. So this surge that Buttigieg has been having in Iowa, it's important to Democrats for a lot of reasons, but mostly because for the last few decades, most of the time, 
the Democratic nominee for president has won either Iowa or New Hampshire or both. That's correct. So when you go back to the week before the Liberty and Justice dinner in Des Moines, people on his campaign who had worked for President Obama's campaign were sort of building it up as a sequel to what Obama did when he was in sort of a dogfight with Hillary Clinton in 2008 leading up into the Iowa caucuses in January. And he really used that speech as a way to, to sort of leapfrog her and eventually win Iowa. I never expected to be here. I always knew this journey was improbable. I've never been on a journey that wasn't. I am running in this race because of what Dr. King called the fierce urgency of now. Because at the time, back in 2008, President Obama, you know, the first black president, was struggling with voters of color in places like South Carolina. But once he won the Iowa caucuses, that really sent a message to people in, you know, New Hampshire and South Carolina that if he could win in white rural Iowa, that he could win, you know, maybe anywhere in the country. And so uh, Pete Buttigieg's advisors before the Liberty and Justice speech were actually sort of making a similar case that if he can do well in Iowa, you know, he'll send a message to African-American voters in places like South Carolina and they might give him a second look. Buttigieg's campaign needs that second look from black voters because that is where the mayor's poll numbers are remarkably low. They have been for months. He's been criticized for how he deals with race by South Bend activists, political pundits, members of the Congressional Black Caucus. So I asked Adam, what's the campaign doing about this? He's responding in a few different ways. Earlier this year, he actually named an Indiana state director for his campaign, which I think a lot of people saw as presumptuous because Indiana doesn't vote until May. And this Indiana state director that he named was Ariel Brandy, who is an African-American here in Indiana, well-respected, well-known in political circles. And he named her as his Indiana state director. And yet just this week, um, she has been traveling to Georgia, will be traveling to places like South Carolina to sort of more or less vouch for the mayor. She lives in South Bend. Um, she's a, a political player there with ties to the NAACP. And she will be someone who the campaign uses as a surrogate, even though she's an Indiana state director in a number of states like South Carolina. They've also identified African-Americans who live in South Bend and are favorable to the mayor to sort of be these validators on social media, um, on outlets like Twitter. And also, you know, one has sort of been tasked with opening up a new South Bend office that's designed to kind of be the public facing version of the campaign office and allow volunteers to come in from South Bend who support the mayor and actually make calls to early states in places like Iowa, New Hampshire and South Carolina on his behalf. It seems to me like when the mayor is called out on race, he has a couple of different things that he does. One of the things that he does is he brings up his identity as a gay man. Can you talk a little bit about how that conversation goes when you've seen it happen? Yeah, that that's correct. He's used sort of this this part of his story, not only with African-Americans, but 
with people, for example, at a town hall in Iowa who have disabilities. Part of the basic idea of our campaign is that we need to open a season of belonging in American life. And that Americans right now, in countless different ways and for countless different reasons, have been put on the wrong side of fences of belonging. I felt this in one very particular way in my own life, but have found that every voter I meet uh, struggles with these same issues. And that's he often says that all of us, in one way or another, um, have, have brushed up this crisis of belonging, whether we're a minority, whether we're gay or we have a disability. You know, he says all of us in different ways have been led to question whether we belong. And I know what it is to look on the news and see your rights up for debate. And that's sort of the way that he talks to communities who might have other status. And he tries to identify with them in that way. Hmm. The other thing that Mayor Pete tries to do is, is he likes to pivot to his plan. He has this plan called the Douglas Plan, which he released in June. And it's a really multifaceted approach to dealing with structural racism. But even the rollout of that plan has been really fraught, even in the last week. Yeah, that's correct. So one of the things they did to roll out this plan was announced the endorsement of roughly 400 South Carolinians, both African-Americans and, and white South Carolinians. And as, as that announcement uh, rolled out, many people who were on the list received calls from neighbors and friends or other elected officials. And they said, you know, we didn't realize you were endorsing Pete Buttigieg. And they would say, well, uh, we're not actually. Uh, what do you mean? And it would turn out their names would be on this list um, without what they felt was their consent. Not only that happened on their website, when they had a contractor help build out their website, uh, the contractor used a stock photo from Kenya on the Douglas Plan page of their website to sort of market this, um, which is you know, incredibly tone deaf. It's interesting to hear you talk about this because it sounds like turning the key on an engine, trying to get it to catch, like trying again and again to try to get this plan to break through and get the attention of the people you want to signal to. That's right. I think that's an apt metaphor. And, you know, what the Buttigieg campaign would say is that, look, this is someone who has not been running for office for, you know, three decades, like former Vice President Joe Biden, who isn't really well known nationally. And when it comes to a group of voters who might be skeptical, you know, he's going to naturally have to work hard and struggle for their vote. And yet time and again, it seems like he struggles to to get that engine to kick. Well, and before any of this was happening in South Carolina with the Douglas plan, I was looking at some earlier coverage of Pete Buttigieg from back in September. It was an article in Politico. And the author straight out said that Buttigieg has no strong and unique governing vision. And it stood out because I felt like at the root of it, that's a little bit what the African-American community is saying. So this is an article by my colleague at Politico magazine, uh, Bill Schur. And I think what he's getting at there 
is that it's difficult, I think, when you're the mayor of uh, of a town like South Bend, as far as your your governing vision is concerned, because you know your job is to to plow the streets from snow and to make sure the sewers work and to make sure the proverbial trains run on time. And so he, Buttigieg constantly throughout this year is navigating both the blessings and the curses of being a mayor. He gets the blessings uh, from being a mayor when he talks about you know, nonpartisan or bipartisan approaches to governing, uh, solutions-based you know, policy. But he gets all of the curses of being a mayor when it comes to his policy, because a mayor sort of is in some ways not ideological when it comes to, you know, plowing the streets or, you know, making sure the parking meters work. And so, you know, yes, it, he gets the, the optics of being a mayor who's out using a snowblower to, to, uh, to clear the streets of snow, but he also has to, to deal with the limitations of the power of his own office that he holds presently. Hmm. I wonder if you'd agree with your colleague and say, yeah, there's no overarching vision, or whether you'd say, listen, Mayor Pete is figuring it out. That's not really what his job was before. You know, I think that my colleague makes a really compelling point. I think, you know, Buttigieg occupies this place in the field right now where he is trying to be the Goldilocks candidate, not too progressive, not too conservative. And he's really benefiting from right from that right now. He um, smartly positioned himself as sort of an understudy to Joe Biden in the event that Joe Biden, you know, didn't really catch on with voters. And so when you saw this poll come out from the Des Moines Register on Saturday night, uh, you you saw Biden plummet to third place and Buttigieg occupy his spot. So. You know, I think he's kind of pulled off up until this point, that Goldilocks candidate. But the drawback on that is that it doesn't seem like he has defined commitments or values like, say, a Senator Elizabeth Warren does. So while Elizabeth Warren is rolling around Iowa in a bus that says honk if you want big structural change, the answer to that may be no thanks. That's right. That's right. And if Buttigieg was driving around the same bus it would be, you know, I'm going to take us uh, forward, not left or right. Okay, so that sets us up for tonight. Pete Buttigieg is going to walk onto this debate stage. How do you think the other candidates are going to respond to him? Well, if the last few days leading up to tonight have been any indication, it could be a slugfest. We've seen candidates like California Senator Kamala Harris say that she never had to acquire ways to talk about the black struggle because she was born with them. Uh, We've seen candidates like Julian Castro question the mayor's qualifications to lead the country. So if that all kind of comes together on the debate stage tonight, it could be quite the conflagration. You've said that Buttigieg's campaign is relishing this moment. What do you mean by that? Well, when you go back to January or February, many people, including national news um, commentators, couldn't pronounce this candidate's last name or sort of referred to him in a derisive way. And now here we are, and he's leading, according to two recent polls, the first in the nation caucus state. They feel like they've gotten the job done, which is to bring to Pete Buttigieg as many voters and as many eyeballs, as many ears as possible. They feel like that's a success for them. 
And so now that they're getting attacked, it's like, look, what we have done, our plan all along has worked. And here's the mayor of the fourth largest city in Indiana, who is potentially becoming, if not the front runner in Iowa, the front runner, you know, nationwide. Adam Wren, thank you so much for talking to me. Yeah, my pleasure. Adam Wren writes for Politico magazine and the Indianapolis Monthly. All right, that's the show. If you want to dig into Mayor Pete's record when it comes to race, I highly recommend you go into our What Next archives and find the last show we did with Adam. It's called Mayor Pete's Policing Problem. It is still a great listen. Check it out. What Next is produced by Mary Wilson, Jason DeLeon, Mara Silvers, and Daniel Hewitt. I'm Mary Harris. I will catch you back here tomorrow. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.